0: Please find the book of Romans and chapter 12 this morning. Romans and chapter number 12. This is the second part of our new Bible series, Renewed. And so, as you look at your notes this morning, you'll see that the theme of this study really picks up in the second half of, or the second quarter, I should say, of the book of Romans. Early in the book of Romans, we looked at our salvation and how our salvation is completely free. It's by the grace of God, and it's forever secure because we're kept by his power. And now in these final five chapters, we are learning how the gospel message, the message of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus gives us a completely new kind of life. We don't live in the same condition that we did before, that we, did before we knew Christ the life of the believer is to be different, and that is empowered by the Lord. It's motivated by the gospel, and we're asking God to daily renew our mind and work out this transformed life. So our theme verse has been 12 and 2, verse number 2, so I'd like us to read that out loud together. Again, I'm not going to make a secret of it. It's my goal, by the end of the series that you'll have Romans 12 2 memorized by just us saying it together. So, uh, if you give me verse number 2, Kayla, we'll say that together. Romans 12 and verse number 2. It says Romans 12:2 on the screen for me, but it's showing verse number 1. So, we've got it on your handout while she tries to find that. Let's just read it together or it's in your Bible in front of you. Romans 12:2. Begin. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then we'll go to verse number three, Romans 12 and verse number three. The passage continues saying, for I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you. So who is being addressed in this passage? How many of us? Everybody got that? This is for all of us. This isn't for, uh, this isn't for us to pick and choose and to say, well, this applies to one, and, but that doesn't apply to me. What we're about to look at applies to all of us. And he says, everyone, every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly Then he ought to think, but to think soberly. Now, the end of this verse is going to transition us into our new thought. Think soberly according as God hath dealt to who? Yeah, this is to everybody. So, hey, I want everybody to understand something that applies to everyone, don't think too highly of yourself. Anybody in here ever fall into that trap of, of the self-importance trap? Anybody? Am I the only one? No? We've fa- we fall into that trap, whether we're young or whether we're old. Sometimes we start to think that the world and the people in our lives, they revolve around us. And scripture is a good reminder here that for a Christian, somebody who's been changed by the gospel, we shouldn't have a high view of ourselves but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, you've got to understand that statement, that God has dealt to every man. The idea is that God has served out a portion of faith to everyone. Everyone in the family of God, God is doing something unique. God is working, God is working totally among us. He's also working Uniquely among us. Now, that's an important, an important thing to remember, because as I get focused on what's going on in my life, but God is working. I need to remember that God's working in your life, and my expectations for you and your expectations for me, as we're together in the family of God, ought to be that God's will be accomplished in your life, that God accomplished because He's dealt a measure of faith to you that is unique to the measure of faith that he's given to me. Now, verse number four, I want you to see the first main point. We'll see this down in verse four and verse five. We're talking today about life in the body of Christ. First of all, number one, we learn that we are united in Christ. Could you say that with me together? We are united in Christ, and it's a special kind of union and let's see what it says. Verse number four. So we saw that last statement, God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Well, what exactly does that mean, Mr. Paul, sir? What what is the Holy Spirit communicating? Well, he explains. Verse four. For as we have many members in what? So many members, but one body. Many, one. Many members, one body. And all members have not the same office. Verse 5. So we, being what? Are one body in Christ. What are we talking about here? The body of Christ is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul is introducing here is the body the nature of the New Testament church. Do you realize that what what is assembled right here around you is the, we, we refer to it as the New Testament church, or in this passage, it is the what? The body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Now, this is amazing. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, you'd be tempted to just take this for granted. Yes, the church. But if you're, if you, if you've not been a Christian for a long time, We are prone to make a couple mistakes about the nature of the church. You say, what do you mean? For instance, as you were to drive through North Adams, North Adams is known as Steeple City. We even have a baseball team named after the Steeple City. In case you're unaware, it's the Steeplecats. Go see a game, right? There, there's, you could go through, uh, even with losing one of our steeples the last few years, we still, there's an abundance of steeples. So most people are tempted, or the, not tempted, this is just their default, to drive through town or to drive out in the countryside maybe, see a building with a steeple and say, look, that is a... But we have made a fatal error when we say that, because that is not a church. It is a church building. Or, as the old timers would say, it's the meeting house. It's the place to assemble. But the church is not a building. Not at all a building. The church gathers in a building, but the church are the individual members. Those who have been saved, called out of this world. Today, we celebrate baptism When someone is baptized, as is found in the book of Acts, you find that the same day, those that this is Acts chapter 2, those that received his word were baptized. And the same day, they were added to the church. So in a local church context, when someone is baptized, they're saying that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they've accepted him as their savior, and they want to identify with Christ and his church, his body very exciting thing that takes place. The body of church is the people that have gathered together. And there's something else about the nature of the church. You will not find anywhere in the New Testament, there's nowhere in the New Testament that you will find a Christian that does not have a relationship, is not connected to a local church. You don't find it. The local church is the default of your entire New Testament. Every believer is intended to be a part of a local, visible body of Christ. And that's what we are gathered here together as Mount Greylock Baptist Church. We are the body of Christ. And you could go to other locations. There are other buildings And you could open the doors this morning, some near, some far. You could go to other places around, and you could find true believers. You walk into that building, and you would experience the body of Christ gathered in those churches as well. But at the same time, you could walk in buildings that resemble what we would think of as a church, and there may be people gathered there. But if they don't hold true to the Word of God, and they don't have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, then they may have a church building, but there is no church gathered in that place. This is the church of the living God. It's so important, and your relationship to the church is absolutely important. And part of being saved, part of being a Christian, is uniting with the body of Christ. Now, I do know I have friends. I have people that have made a profession of faith. They've said that they have trusted Christ as their Savior, but they've never united with the body of Christ in a local assembly where they're missing out. There's there's two things. There's an element of disobedience, right? We've been commanded to do this, but then there's a sadness because they're missing out on the fullness of their Christian experience. We are united in Christ. So back to verse five, we be many are one body in Christ and everyone members of another, back it up to verse number four, and let, let's see this. for as we have many members of one body, but all members have not the same what? Office. Now office doesn't mean like a, a, a room with a door and your name on the plaque. that's not what we're talking about. Office is your function in the church, the part that you play, the, the place that God has put you. Do, you. do you understand this this morning that God has united you with the church? for a specific and individual purpose. That you are here, you are united to this body, not just in a general sense, but for a specific purpose. And your part in the body is different than mine. Everyone unique. Verse six. Verse six now. Having then, what's the word? Gifts. Gifts. Having then gifts, but how does he describe those gifts as what? They're different. They're different, but we all have the gift. Now, that's really important because do you remember we read back, I won't have you go way back up again, but in verse number three, that God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. You find the same principle in the book of 1 Corinthians, that God has gifted every one of the believers but he's given a certain measure to each individual person. So he comes over here. He comes over here. Actually, you three boys, can, can you come here and help me real quick? One, two, and three, right? We'll, we'll just. What's that? Yes, you, you, Seth, Gideon, and Sam. These guys are going to help me this morning. All right, right here, guys. You can just stand right in the front. So these are our faithful churchmen. Amen. Wouldn't it be a blessing to see these three young men grow up and be those faithful churchmen, Be the deacons and the leaders and the faithful servants in the church. That's what we're working on here. We're working on the next generation. Some of them need a little more work than others. You know what I'm saying? But, and we give it to Aaron. We give them to Aaron. How's he doing with these teenagers? All right, anyway. No, it's the whole church that's responsible. Amen? So, these three men are going to serve in the church. You got a servant's heart? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, he's ready. How about you? Yeah, how about you? Yes. Yeah, actually, they are already serving in the church. Here's the deal. God is going to gift them, and he has gifted them individually and uniquely. He's given them a measure. Turn around, guys. Okay? I'm not going to be God. I'm going to be God's dispenser, just for the, for the, for the record here. He's going to say, you know what? I'm going to give this amount of gifts to Sam. I'm going to give this to Gideon. I'm going to give this... To Seth. Now, what would be the problem? Let's go here for a minute. What are these guys not supposed to do? They're not supposed to look at each other and compare their gifts. Let, let me see. What, what, oh, we got some good acting, right? And, and they'd be like, what, what's the deal? Why do you have this? Boy, these guys are getting into it. I like it. I like it. You, you can't see their facial expressions. I got them facing the wrong way, all right? They're into it. We're not supposed to be like, and then, you know what some Christians do sometimes? What else we're we not supposed to do? We're not supposed to compare our gifts. But we're also not supposed to get all boastful about our gifts. Right? You, can you do a boastful thing for me or what? You're like, oh, you're going to be like, see you later, man. Oh, brutal. We're not supposed to, we're not supposed to compare. We're not supposed to be boastful. Right? You guys can sit down. You did a great job. We're not supposed to go and, uh, and say, well, you know, I, this is my role. My role is more important. Your role is less important. This, it's not what it's about. They're different. They're unique. But who has put the gifts? Who's the one doing the gift giving? And God has a purpose for it, doesn't he? He's got a reason. And now he starts to explain some of the gifts. Verse number six. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Now, in verses 6 through 8, you're going to see a list of unique gifts. If you went to 1 Corinthians, you would see a whole other list of gifts. If you went to the book of Ephesians, you would find another list of gifts. So I personally don't believe that this is an exhaustive list. I think these are simply examples of some of the gifts that God has given people. Nevertheless, it would be good for you right now, right now, to look at this, to think about it, and to say, I wonder if I have one of those gifts. Not I wonder if I have one, I wonder which I have. How has God gifted me uniquely? Let's look at a few here. For example, maybe you've been given the gift of prophecy, Paul says. If you have the gift of prophecy, you ought to be working on your prophesying according to the proportion of faith. Now, the gift of prophecy has two, uh, um, two manifestations in the Scripture, and this is very important. In the, in, the, in the Old Testament, in the early part of the New Testament, the gift of prophecy could be the foretelling of something that God was going to do. Actually, in the, in the New Testament the gift of prophecy was often the revelation of the word of God. In fact, what we have here in the book of of Romans is the God giving the prophecy to uh, the apostle Paul and it being recorded for us. But also, and very important, the gift of prophecy was not just future telling, how we think of it, but the gift of prophecy is also found both in the Old Testament and the New Testament as simply truth telling. This is, is what God has said. And in fact, as you study the early church, part of the reason, uh, not part of the entire reason that we get up and we exhort, this is what the Lord says, is what I am doing right now is the prophetic utterance of the church. Like, I believe, as, as this is, that I have been given this gift of prophecy. And you obviously have have recognized that by allowing me to to get up and give you the prophetic word. Now, it's not a prophecy. It's not a private interpretation. All of you have access to the same prophecy. But I'm giving the word. I'm saying, thus saith the Lord. This is the message that God has. And you'll find that throughout the New Testament, the giving of the word. And maybe you've been given that gift. It's not only, you see, the gift of being a pastor is actually unique from the gift of prophecy. A pastor would have the gift of prophecy to say, this is what the word of God says. But there are other people that are not called to be pastors that have this gift. Churches are filled with people who teach the word, who proclaim the word. They've been given the gift of saying and explaining, thus saith the Lord. And maybe you're young or maybe you're not young and God is working in your heart and you have a burning passion to say, I just want people to know what God has said. I just want people to understand the scriptures. Since I was young, I sensed in my heart, just, since I was a teenager, just a desire to take the word of God, to explain it to people. And I will tell you, I am never, I am never happier than when I'm doing what I'm doing right now. I just know it. I just, I just experience the, 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 the and, and whether the sermon's a, a success or some of them are duds, you know what I'm saying, but at the end of the sermon, it's, I feel like I've done what God has called me and gifted me to do, and it's a wonderful thing. It's the gift of God that he's given for the church, but it's not for me. The gift isn't for me. And I could, become, I could become focused on myself. No, the gift is for the edification of the church. But that's the first gift. Let's look at the second gift, verse number seven. Or maybe the gift is ministry. This is the idea of someone who has a, just a tremendous servant's heart. They just love to serve. And I mean, if they're like, if somebody's like, hey, we need some help, ooh, ooh, me. It's like, well, I haven't even said what we're going to do yet. I was about to change all the toilets in the church and, you know, replace the plumbing. I'll still do it, right? It's just somebody who's the first to volunteer, the first to say, I'll be a part of that. Now, you can have one gift, you can have multiple gifts. You, God dispenses these gifts as He will, as He does. Now, please. It would also be a mistake to be like, well, I kind of feel like I more have the gift of talking, so I'll let the other gifted people do the ministering. That's not the point. We all should serve each other, right? But sometimes there's just this special empowering. And you say, and maybe you're sitting there, you're like, yeah, that's me. I thought I just, I never realized it. But that's the, you mean that's the gift of God? That's God doing that, empowering? Yes, that's what it is. And if you sense that gift, you will never be more fulfilled than when you get involved and you get busy is exciting to see. I'm not going to presume on anyone's gift, and I hope I don't embarrass anyone. I use myself as an example already, but Brother Nate and, uh, and Brother uh, uh, K.O. Ken, I do know your name, Ken. Um, these guys cooked the meat for us today, and it's like as soon as they find out, found out there was going to be some food, to, they're like, oh, I'll cook it. I'll cook it. Let me cook it. Let me do it, I, I believe in my heart that that is, I don't suppose on their gifts, I'm not doing that, but that's an example of what the gift of ministry looks like. It says, hey, how can I serve? What can I do? This isn't, these aren't just, you see, now maybe you were like that before you're a Christian, and that's fine, but now that you are a Christian, there's a special Holy Spirit empowering that goes along with it. That's what the local church is about. That's what the body of Christ is. We serve. We, we, we display this giftedness. There's more gifts, right? Yes. So, the, so ministry, let him minister. Or he that teacheth on teaching. We had a whole crew of teachers today that worked with our youth and our teenagers. They're, they're teaching the word of God. Let's see what else is here. Verse number eight. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. This is the gift. The exhorter is the encourager. Boy, I've had, I have a couple friends in my life that have the gift of exhortation. I got a text message today from a, uh, a pastor friend of mine. I get these like almost every other week and he just says, hey, I'm praying for you this morning. I'm praying for you this morning. That's somebody that says, he doesn't just pray, he wants me to know. He wants to encourage me. Like Man, the gift of exhortation. Churches need people that'll be the encouragers. You know, sometimes life can get a little negative, right? Anybody notice that? Like sometimes life can be a little discouraging and and some of us, I think every church has, every church has their news junkies, right? We read the news, we absorb it all and we're like, oh man, did you see that? We need some exhorters to come around us, you know? Like I need an exhorter to come around and say to me, hey, listen, God is on the throne. Look at what God's doing in your life. The best is yet to come that's an exhorter. Are you an exhorter? Can you be an exhorter? Is God calling you to be the exhorter? But wait a minute. Now in a big church, in a big church, there's probably a, a good number of exhorters and a good number of ministers. But what about in a small church? Because look around, that's us, all right? We have big vision, but we're a small group. Getting bigger, amen. That's the goal. But but you know what I'm saying? Here's my point. Here's my point. Your role, your gift in a smaller church is even more vital. Because there might only be a couple exhorters around. There might only be a few ministers. There might only be a few teachers. And, and, and your place in the body is vital. It's vital. So, just think, if God has gifted me, and I willfully, important word, and I willfully withdraw or don't show up for the gathering of the body, what has happened to the body? It's incomplete. It suffers, right? Right? It's not just about coming and, oh, the pastor will miss me, or, oh, you know. No, it's about, are you fully, is the church benefiting from your gift? That's an important question, right? More gifts to come. Let's see, what are we up to? What's the next one? Giving. Giving. Now, some people, now we're all, again, all of these things, we're all called to do all of them. But, boy, I've just known some people over the years that they don't just do their duty when it comes to giving they're just have this oozing generosity they just they just want to bless people uh, materially and with their time and with their presence and they just they might say you know what i've got some difficulties i can't get involved this way i can't get involved that way boy but i can give and i can sacrifice and i can be the giver behind the scenes boy what a what a blessing To to give freely. And you know, again, we're all called to give, but some of us, there's just this. I I just think there in the 20th century there was a well-known businessman. His name was R. G. Laterno. How many of you have ever heard that name? Anybody? Okay, just a handful of us. If you if you went back 40 years, everybody knew Mr. Laterno. And you can travel in the Northeast to camps and conference centers. Much of the many of the large evangelistic endeavors that took place in the second half of the 1900s were funded by R.G. Laterno. I can't remember the company. It's a major company. Everybody remember the construction company that he owned? Anyway, he owned a major construction company, and he's the one who was famous for reversing the tithe. What do I mean, reversing the tithe? He had become very wealthy. And he said, you know what? I used to give 10% of my income back to the Lord. But I've become so wealthy, I'm going to flip that around. And he said, I'm going to live off the 10%. I'm going to dedicate 90% of what I have. Now, is there any command in the Bible that he had to do that? No, not at all. But there was a gift from God. And boy, look what God accomplished through him. Really cool story. And while the famous evangelists were on television and the people know all their names, there was a wealthy financer behind all of it who just served God. A Christian capitalist. See what I did there? All right, moving along. Um, Giving. What are we on next? Oh, but look what it says. If you're going to give, do it with simplicity. Don't make a big ostentatious display of it. Remember how Jesus said to give? Give your alms in secret. Verse number, it continues. So there's the givers after the exhorters, then he that ruleth. The rulers, those are the individuals that have been given great administrative ability they can organize, they can galvanize, they can, they can see projects through to completion, they can head up uh, important roles and functions, they can be in charge of things, and they can do it with the right spirit. You know what I'm talking about? Like some people are like, put me in charge, and you're like, no, thank you. <laughs> and there are others that it's, it's, they, they lead as servants and for the benefit of others. It says, he that ruleth, but they do it diligently. You give them a task and what do they do? They see it through. They see it to completion. They don't give up. There's a lot of, a lot of people have a lot of great ideas. I think we should do this. I think we should do that. I agree. Come up with a plan to see it to completion. You know what happens to a lot of those I thinks? They fade away. They fade away. But if you've been given the ability to to rule and to lead, God says, well, now you have the power to do it with diligence. These are all gifts. They're all different. And God has enabled all of us. He that showeth... Oh, look at this one, this, this last one. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. There's some people that their role is compassion. Compassion. You got the prophets and the rulers like, all right this is the truth. Let's get the work done. Let's move forward. And the the people, the the mercy people are like, okay, but wait a minute. Don't bulldoze over these people over here. They They need some help. They need some tender compassion. They need somebody to come alongside and put their arm around them. Boy, we need those with mercy. These are the people that in the middle of the week, they pick up the phone because they just know something is not right with their sister. Something is not right with their brother. They come alongside and they say, or maybe maybe they're, 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 a brother or sister has fallen and they've made a mistake and they come around and say, hey, God's not finished with you. God's not done with you. God still is going to, and they encourage them with the mercy of God. They're, they're the ones like the, do you remember the story of the prodigal son? The father it receives him and the prodigal comes back. What a mess I've made. And the father, with all the mercy of God, just throws that coat on his shoulders and says, come home, my son. Boy, churches need people like that. Have you ever noticed over the course of decades, sometimes people fall away from the church? Anybody ever noticed that? Well, a gift of mercy and the the role of mercy is to make sure there's a big, wide open door and a loving welcome mat that says, come on back. Come on back. Patient and compassionate with people. This is life in the body of Christ. So write write this down if you have a pen. Which gift do you see in your life right now? Don't let anybody see it, maybe, you know? What, what is it? Which, and you're like, well, I don't know. I, I don't want to assume. I'm not sure. What, as, as I'm going through these gifts,
1: how do you, where
0: do you see God directing you? And you might say, well, Pastor Ethan, I just still don't know. I just don't have any clue. What do I do? What do I do? Do you know what the best way you can discover what your gift is? Start serving. Start getting involved. Get it, get, get, do whatever. Get plugged in over here and get plugged in over there and say, Oh, I'll help with that or I'll try this or I'll do that or, or I'll get involved with this. And just see how God starts to lead you. He will mold, He will shape, and He will direct your gift. But do you know what nobody in this room that knows Jesus can say? There's nobody in here that can say, Well, I don't have a gift, because he's dealt the measure of faith to every single one, to every single one. Not only are we united, but we are gifted by God's grace, and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you this. There's, there's quite a few verses left, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to go through them quickly to show you how, with these gifts, we are called to love and serve. So let's see it now. He just gives some general instruction. Your life in the body. What is your role as a member of the church? How do you serve God and serve others? We are called to love and to serve. But before we look at Romans 9, I want you to see what Jesus said. John chapter 13 and verses 34 through verse 35. This is Jesus shortly before he went to the cross. He said to his disciples, a new commandment I give unto you, that you what? Love one another, as I have loved you. Boy, that's a, a question right there. Do you love your brothers and sisters in the church? Well, I hope you could say yes. But for deeper consideration, do you love the brethren, the brethren, as Christ loves us. That takes a little bit more. That takes something supernatural. Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. Verse 35, by this shall all men know you're my disciples. How will people know that we are disciples of Jesus? Well, by, you know, by what we say, by the places we go, by our political affiliations, by our theology. I'm not saying any of those things are unimportant, but they are not, they are not the essential. The essential mark of the believers is that they what? That they love each other that the world would say there is a group of people that truly love each other. How many of you understand that it's hard to love people? Let's just be real about it. It's easy to listen to a sermon or to deliver a sermon like this and to be like, yeah, love each other. But then people do some really dumb things. You're like, what were they thinking? And then you find you did some really dumb thing. And you just hope that people aren't, what, is, what was he thinking? Because we all still have this flesh. It's easy to love each other when we're at our best. But I'll tell you, the mark of the, of a, of a, of a, of a, the church of the living God is how do we love each other when we disappoint each other? It's interesting, after Jesus said this and about how he loved them, does anybody know within a few hours what all the disciples did? Within a few hours, every one of those disciples abandoned Jesus. They left him with the Romans, with the, uh, the 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 Sanhedrin guards. They deserted him in his time of need, and Jesus knew that they were about to do that. And he says, "Love each other as I have loved you." Within a few hours, Peter is going to deny Jesus three times. I mean, literally, right after they heard these words, but Jesus still loved, still loved them. As people, just give you something really practical here. Life in the body of Christ. There will be times, if you are connected to the local church for more than a few months, what will happen is you will go from wonderful experiences where you're like, I just love these people. Everybody's so kind. Everybody just is so accepting. Everybody's so joyful. Mark it down. Please, if you have to, write this down. And don't forget what I'm going to say, especially if you're newer to the faith. Give it another six months. The honeymoon's over. Okay? And you realize, this church has got problems, man. Okay? You're like, you're saying that about your church? Yes. You know why this church has got problems? Because I'm here. And you're here. We're here. We got problems. We're all sinners. Now, we've been, we're on this journey of being changed, but I've, I've witnessed this. You know, I haven't been at this as long as my dad, obviously. But I've been, I've been doing this for 17 years, and I've seen people be like, this is the coolest place ever. Well, I'm leaving here. I don't know. I can't handle this. And I don't blame them because somebody let them down. But you've got to understand part of Christian maturity is realizing that this is not a some kind of fraternal organization. This isn't book club. This isn't my buddies at work that get together and I have a good connection with this is the church of the living god we are a family of faith united in christ and we're stuck with each other i mean it Like we love each other despite our faults and failures despite our disagreements the only thing the only reason That that, that you would break fellowship, in my opinion, with the the church. The only reason you would break fellowship with the church is if there was legitimate departure from the truths of God's word. If God has put you here, then, then you are to be united to the body of Christ. Be like, well, you're a pastor, so obviously you think that. Well, that's why God gave the church pastors. We are guardians of the flock. We are under shepherds. We are to protect the flock. And the devil will use any form of division or disagreement or personality conflict to divide. I'm not going to do everything right, but neither are you. Regardless, the disciples abandoned Jesus and he said, I have loved you and you're going to love each other. So sometimes we need a little good dose of old-fashioned values. Like, we need an old-time father to say, an an old-time dad to be like, you're in this house, you're my kids, and you're going to love each other whether you like it or not. You know I'm speaking facetiously. But the point is this. God says, you're my family. If, If the testimony of the believers is that they love each other, what message does it send when the church of God can't love each other? So let's just let's let's finish by just going through these final verses and just give the description of that love. What's it look like? Verse number Verse number 9. Verse number 9 let love be without dissimulation. That means insincerity. Love sincerely. Don't don't be all fake about it. Don't be all like, "Oh, it's so good to see you," and then go back home and kind of talk bad. Be real. Jesus said it's a a real kind of love. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. With brotherly love. Every person in the family of God you should love as, as well as you love your own flesh and blood. With brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another, preferring one another. Me and Aaron have a little routine. You, under, you remember Aaron? This in honor, preferring one another. Come here. Come on. Come on. You gotta help me out real quick. Come on. We gotta make sure everybody's still awake. So this is the the, the Christian. You remember what we're doing, right? So in the in the Christian life, in honor, we prefer one another. I say, oh, no, after you. after you. Oh, I insist after I'm you. No, you should go first. Yeah, you're uh, no, no, you need this, the first spot.
1: And then I would give in and say, yes, you right. Oh,
0: yeah. It's like that awkward standoff. It's that awkward standoff at the lunch bill. No, I've got this. No, I've got this. No, I've got this. No, I've got this. Some of you are like, who does that? Oh, you might want to you know, take notes, right? So it's in honor preferring one another. Sometimes it's hard, though. Sometimes there's some legitimate disagreements. And a decision's got to be made that nobody's happy about. But how is our attitude? I read a quote yesterday or this morning on one of my social media feeds. It was from a pastor. He said, you never truly know someone's spiritual maturity until they don't get their way. It's like, hmm, yeah. In honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business. This is the, the, the life of a Christian. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Boy, that's a, that's that's we 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 endure the difficulties. We continue instant in prayer. Look at verse thirteen. Distributing to the necessity of saints. That's a great one. Who's got a need? Let me help meet the need. Who's got we listen, guys? In this last. Two months, the, churches helped pay a, the church has helped pay a college bill. The church has helped fix an automobile. The church has helped uh, put someone in a hotel who had nowhere to stay. Why? Because we believe in distributing the necessity of the saints. We had a, a young lady raised in our church who's uh, studying to be a Christian school teacher, needed help with the bill. How much came in for that? it's like about $1,000. I think was and it dollars mm-hmm.
1: And it also um, the that,
0: that $3,000 Yeah. It's amazing. And, and and that is distributing. We put the need out there. People say, "I'll meet the need." I can meet the need. That's what a church does. Um Wow, blessing. And you should take time to just meditate on these verses later. I'm going kind of quickly. Given to hospitality. Verse 14: bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. There will be people outside the walls of the church that come up against you for your faith, that come up against you. The testimony of the church people ought to be never to speak evil of those. Without, but to have a testimony that we are, we speak well of even those who oppose us. Listen, I, I, no Christian person ought to be posting defamatory comments about pol- politicians they disagree with, ever. Period. Now, defamatory is different than disagreement, right? Be bold in your disagreement, but I'm, I'm sorry if you if you are if you speak evil of someone. who who you view as being persecuting to you, you're disobeying the scriptures. Jesus, when he was reviled, what did he do? Reviled not again. We are Christians. We don't speak evil of... It literally says in another passage, not to speak evil of dignitaries. That we have a testimony of peacemakers. We rejoice with them that do rejoice. We weep with them that weep. Verse 16. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things. In other words, don't hang out with the, the, uh, the in crowd, but condescend to men of low estate. Those of you that are teenagers, this is one of the biggest, a good group of teenagers in here, this is one of the biggest uh, steps of faith you can take as a Christian young person to say I'm not going to go along with the pettiness that happens among teenagers. That, 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 that ostracizes other people or makes people feel inferior. But you said, I will hang out. I will be a friend to people who others may look down upon. Because that's what Christians do. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Verse 18, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, as much as you're able, as much as it's in your control. Some things are outside of our control. But as much as it's in your control, live how? Peaceably. On Facebook too? On Facebook too. On Facebook most importantly. Peaceably. Christians shouldn't get into arguments with other Christians for the whole world to see. Christians shouldn't, get in, shouldn't be disagreeable people. They're like, well, I disagree. Well, there you go again. Okay. So, verse number, verse number 19, dearly beloved, loved ones, dearly beloved, beloved by who? By Jesus and by each other, dearly beloved, beloved. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. In verse 21, be not overcome of evil but overcome evil with good. Just leave that verse up there for me. This is the game changer right there. Say, what do you mean? This is the game changer. As we look back at our role in the body of Christ and the behaviors of the Christian, you're like, man, I'm kind of messing up in some of those areas. I am, how about you? I, I just am, I'm off track. Well, here's the good news. Do you remember where we began last week? How is any of this even possible? Can we do this in our own effort? No. It's all by the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. You see, before you knew Jesus Christ, if you know Christ as your Savior, before you knew Jesus, could you ever live out that verse? No, it was an impossibility. Without Christ, you're just a sinner trying to do better. Well, I'll try to do better. I'll try to do better. Do you know what is said of the saints in Revelation? I believe it's Revelation chapter number 12, the ones who overcame the the, the Antichrist, the ones who overcame the devil. It says, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Jesus. So please don't interpret this message to be a a self-help guide. Just do better try a little harder. No, this message is all about the power, the transforming power of the gospel, that it is Christ in us. It is the grace that saved us that produces this renewed living, this life in the body. So the most important question is this, has there ever been a time in your life where you've received the grace of God? I mean, are are you truly, do you truly belong to Christ? I don't mean do you have some Christian experiences in your life. I mean, has there been a moment that you've been saved? Has there been a moment that you've been born again, where you've seen yourself as a sinner and you've said, Jesus, I ask you to save me. I put my faith in you. If that has never happened, that's the first thing you need. You need your life to be transformed. You need Christ to save you from your sin. And you can make that decision today. I mean, you could make that decision right now. You could, in your heart, pray to the Lord and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I want you to save me. I believe in Christ. I believe that you died and rose again for me. When that happens, your life is renewed. And then everything we talked about today, the Holy Spirit begins to work it out in our lives. So my question to those of us who are Christians, we, maybe even church members, how would you describe your life in the body? Are you using your gift? Are you loving and serving others? Or maybe the reality is this. It's another question to write down. Is the church of Jesus receiving the benefit of my gifts? Is the church receiving the benefit of my gifts? You say, well, I don't think it is. Well, make a decision today. Don't leave without changing. Say, Jesus, Holy Spirit, change me. I want to serve you more. I want to take another, a deeper step of commitment. I want to be even more involved. And for those of you that say, you know what? I am involved. Of course, I could do better and we all could. Keep on keeping on. Be faithful. Realize how vital the role that you play is. Let's come to our time of prayer. Please, heads bowed and eyes closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. This is a point, a time for us to reflect on what has been expounded from the Bible and then for us to respond in action. First question that I asked. Have you ever received Jesus Christ as your savior? Has there ever been a time in your life where you said, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin and I ask you to save me. If that's never happened, I'd like to lead you in that right now. You can pray in your heart. You can say, dear God, I do believe that I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus that you died and rose again for me And now I ask you to save me. I put my full faith and my full trust in you and you alone, Jesus. If you've never done that, I'd encourage you to pray to Christ today. Receive him as your Savior today. But Christians, how many of you, how many of you would say, not with a raised hand, but how many of you would say, boy, my life in the body is really not all that it ought to be. You surrender that to the Lord right now. As the piano plays, just take a minute. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Make a decision
1: for Christ and for his church. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that you've given each and every one of us gifts to use here in your church, Lord, uh, in this ministry. I pray, God, that you would burden our hearts to use our gifts to serve you and to honor you. We pray these things in Jesus name, Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.